It's that time of year. Okay. Yeah, there's two kids in my class who have it. Have the what? The ick? Yeah, the ick. The general malaise of the season. The 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 melange. Hello and Bully welcome to the Manti- said Custer's last stand. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Magic Winks Clubhouse, a podcast where two best friends get together when their schedules allow and recap the Italian Magical Girl series Winks Club and its uh, spin-off properties. <laughs> I am Brendan, Fairy of the Surging Sea. I'm Tess, Fairy of the Rolling Stones. So in the short time since we've last been together, there's been a development. Has there? Uh, the show's been canceled. Boo. Fate the Wink Saga Season 3 was not ordered by Netflix, which, when we get to the way this season ends, is going to be very funny. <laughs> I've also learned that the upcoming live-action Winks Club movie that Eugenio Strafi announced is actually not going to be tied to Fate. It's going to be an independent live-action Winks project. Oh, great. So we're going to have three continuities running around. Um, I do hope that they get, like, a a novel or a comic to finish this story. Because it, like, the the cliffhangers of season two are fairly juicy. Today, we are watching Fate the Wink Saga season two, episode two, Taken by the Wind. This episode was released with the rest of the season on September 16th of 2022. Directed by Ed Basel-Gede and written by Victoria Bada. And the episode title is uh, pulled from the lyrics of the song Rhiannon by Fleetwood Mac. Uh, Rest in peace to Christina McVie, who passed away recently as of time of recording. The uh, This is actually the full chorus, apparently, where this is taken from. Uh, All your life, you've never seen a woman taken by the wind. Would you stay if she promised you heaven? Will you ever win? Because this song is like the it's about the Celtic goddess Rhiannon and, and a mortal falling in love with her. There are way more cute outfits here too. Oh my god. Wow, thanks for not caring. Okay. No, I'm here. I'm here. I just what do I say? Good for you for falling in love with the goddess, bad for you what In our cold open, Tara is scavenging around the woods while on her phone with Sam. Devin has fallen into a coma after escaping Rosalind's lab, and now Harvey is trying to find a way to wake him up. We learn Tara is foraging against her father's orders, as Rosalind has forbade any student to go near Devin, but Tara is certain she can convince her father to let her help. We also get a peek at Sam being frustrated with Harvey for not standing up to Rosalind before he hangs up the phone. A twig snaps in the forest, and Tara summons a set of vines to defend herself, which go into little teeny tiny vine spikes. Love it. I love her. The vines blossom into flowers, and, with a welcome surprise, Flora enters the show. She asks if Tara missed her, and the two embrace. Flora has entered the chat. After the opening credits, Flora uh, moves into the Wink Suite with the other girls helping her unpack. She explains that her parents are horticultural researchers, and she's been 
accompanying them on their fieldwork while she learns from private tutors. It explains the accent or lack thereof. Yeah, uh, Flora's actress is American, so now we have two Americans in this otherwise very British and Irish cast. Though, to be <laughs> honest, none of the characters really have Irish accents, despite the show filming in Ireland. Um, actually, scratch that. There's a character we meet later in this episode who's very Irish. Yeah, she is. Two characters that are very Irish. Okay, fine. We also get a bit of a lampshade hung on the fact that Tara is, you know, a, a white woman and Flora is definitely not. Uh, her actress <laughs> is, in fact, of Mexican heritage. Apparently, they're not, like, actu- like first cousins. They are second cousins by marriage. Uh, I think there's also a twice removed thrown in there, which just makes it a little bit more complicated. They They could have just stuck with we're cousins by marriage. Well, we gotta make it more fun. Also, uh, despite the fact that they are only, like, tenuously related, they're around the same age, so they're close regardless. Bloom also gets a lifeline thrown to her when she finds a bag of coffee in Flora's luggage, because apparently they don't serve it at Alfia, is the implication. Hope it's fair trade. Well, you know the uh, Magic UK and their tea. You know, the thing is, uh, fair trade, she probably picked and picked, roasted, and ground them herself. Tara is very happy to have all of her favorite people in one room, but that mood gets uh, soured kind of quickly because they remember uh, who's in charge of the school. Uh, Bloom fills Flora in that Rosalind is in charge because of what she did last season. And uh, that she is involved in whatever happened to Devin because Flora has been here for about 30 seconds, but has already heard about the guy who's gone comatose. The only person who's actually seen uh, Devin that they're aware of is Stella. I guess Stella didn't tell them. Beatrix was there for that. And when Flora goes to talk to Stella, Stella is on the phone trying to reach her mother. Because she doesn't want to have a roommate. Mm. Uh, And uh, Flora walks in right as Stella on the phone says, I'm not going to share a room. And then Flora puts her foot in her mouth without even knowing it by uh, saying, don't worry, I can be invisible. Ow. And in the common room, Tara asks all the girls what they think of Flora. And uh, we learn that Aisha has started flirt texting with Gray. And apparently, ever since uh, Silva was jailbroken, Rosalind has been out for blood. Speaking of the bad haircut devil. Hmm, you hate her hair. I really do. It's a horrible fit for her face. It's, it's not a good haircut, no. Hello, yes, I am 16th century peasant. I cut my hair with stone knife. <laughs> we cut to Andreas giving Rosalind a status update on the search for Silva. He promises that Silva won't escape, but Rosalind snaps that he already has. Beatrix is eavesdropping on the conversation using her air magic and uses the opportunity to conveniently enter the headmistress's office with some paperwork for Rosalind design, just as she starts telekinetically strangling Andrea's Darth Vader style. After Andreas leaves, Beatrix tries to earn brownie points by sharing her hypothesis that Silva had help escaping 
But Rosalind just responds with a withering glare and a rhetorical question, asking if Beatrix didn't think she figured out the pile of coincidences pointed to outside interference. She thanks Beatrix for her expert sleuthing, and Bloom enters the office for her daily training with Rosalind. It is nice to see Beatrix getting taken down a peg. On one hand, yes. On the other hand, I feel bad because Rosalind... This carrot is like a baby carrot at this point. Yeah, um... She's jingling some plastic keys in front of her hand for your amusement. Pretty much. It's that it's that meme, you know, the ho- most horrible, the most terrible person you know has made an excellent point. I never thought I'd say this. Derek is right. Yeah, she's right. So in the greenhouse, Tara is bandaging up Cat's hand because Cat, uh, you may remember, is the uh, black female specialist from season one. She's very tall. She's got curly hair. Oh, yeah, she does. They are doing some light, flirty banter, actually. Super cute! At any rate, Kat is definitely flirting with Tara, who seems to be picking up on it. Uh, unfortunately, the like the good mood is ruined when Riven pops in. Uh, because he is picking up some supplies for the Bastion. Uh, Kat escorts him out. And gives Tara a little wink as she walks by. And then uh, Flora goes to... Nope. Tara goes to help Flora. This is going to be really confusing since Tara was the Flora replacement for all of season one. So, there's... Because Flora is a new character, there's a whole lot of goss. But I very much like that it's not exposition-heavy goss. It's more teens being teens. It's very organic. Because, you know, sometimes shows use this as a chance for, like, exposition for people who didn't watch the last season. But this is Netflix, baby. So, uh, <laughs> it just cut... It's, it's a Mean Girls-style exposition. You've never seen Mean Girls. No, I haven't. Flora makes a casual mention that Riven is really cute, which he is. Tara tells her that he is a walking red flag, which is also true. <laughs> okay. She specifically says he's got a girlfriend and a boyfriend and some very toxic tendencies. He's a walking red flag. Polly thing, not a red flag. Toxic tendencies, absolutely. Just, man, I know why they're doing it. I know why they're playing up, like, Tara's <clears throat> weirdness around relationships. Because the the writing, the writing is on the big fat gay wall at this. Nope, shouldn't say that. Uh, That's it. The the writing's on the pride flag hanging in the greenhouse. Yeah, the pride flag's in the greenhouse at this point. We all know what's up, even if Tara herself <laughs> doesn't at this flag. point. It's the pride flag in the greenhouse with the knife. <laughs> uh, but yeah, she's gonna be weird until she like comes out. Oh, that's why! Uh, Flora has also apparently been rearranging the room in a way that, like, I guess scientifically makes more sense or, like, enhances the flow 
of the room. Like, she specifically makes mention that she's put some things in certain places to increase how efficient they are in their, like, stored state. Right, uh, like, like cold weather plants being placed in a cooler area or something. Um, Basically, she's throwing off their groove. Exactly. they've She's thrown off the Emperor's groove. Uh, Harvey comes in, and he's completely confused by everything until Flora tells him what he's looking for. And he mutters that isn't how he'd do things. And Tara... How do I say Tara's not bitter this episode at all without saying it? Tara's got a lot on her plate going on right now, and the um, cousin who's... She's dealing with a lot of things. Tara's dealing with a lot, and having the cousin who is uh, better at all the same things you do, and uh, apparently even better at the same things your dad does coming in just isn't helping. So she asks Flora not to move anything else, and she goes to talk to her dad. Alright, so we uh, cut to the specialist yard, where Riven is telling Skye just how attractive Flora is. Skye, who has his shirt off for reasons completely unrelated to fan service, uh, makes a crack about Beatrix being in charge before going off to spar with two specialists at once. So it's a shirts versus skins situation, I guess. Yeah, pretty much. Also, he still ha- he has a scar from when he got like stabbed last time, so nice. I mean, not uh, nice because he got stabbed, but... I like that when he like gestures for them to bring it on, they pirouette at him like they're both Geralt of Rivia. Alright, stage combat. Go, girls, go! Let's go, lesbians! Um, He takes both of them out and not so subtly looks at Andreas for approval. Who kind of looked at him, but then just immediately goes to chew Dane out. Riven and Sky work out an agreement for Riven to have the room to himself later, and when Riven offers the same, we learn that Sky and Bloom haven't actually slept together yet, which uh, Riven proceeds to be a giant asshole about. I will say this revelation did surprise me just because how uh, heavy things were getting last episode, but. I mean, there are things you can do that aren't sex, so let me rephrase that. There are activities you can do that aren't penis and vagina sex, so maybe that's what Sky means they haven't done yet. Anyhow, transitioning back to Bloom in Rosalind's office, uh, she Bloom is reading out loud from a textbook where she drops a few, like, kind of surprising terms. She mentions the Company of Light the Army of Darkness, and the name Marion. And listeners, you may recall, if you've been keeping up with us, uh, that in the cartoon universe, the Company of Light is the organization that Farragonda, Professor Griffin, and Professor Saladin were part of. Uh, The Army of Darkness is the Goopy Bug Swarm from Season 1. And Marion is the name of Bloom's birth mom. I'm glad you knew this, because I certainly didn't. Oh, when I first watched that, I perked up going, hey, wait a f***ing minute. <laughs> you scooby-doo-aru? Yeah, pretty much. <clears throat> uh, Rosalind excuses herself and tells Bloom to keep reading. <laughs> uh, and Bloom takes advantage of that to very obviously snoop in Rosalind's desk. I'm sure she- in her mind, she just has the Mission Impossible theme going on. 
Yeah. You know, it's a shame that they don't have that uh, that ring from season one that let you hear what was going on in the headmaster's office. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think they might have forgotten about that, but or it's just that, you know, Aisha has it, I think. It's just on that creepy ring hand, and it's just kind of buried underneath all of her other accessories. Oh, I know what you mean. She has one of those in her room? I I didn't notice that. I, I'm making a joke, but she might. So, Bloom finds a book written in this, like, glyph language. And there is... She finds the Necronomicon. Yes, she finds the Necronomicon. And in the Necronomicon, next to the Duoia Bayonetta, is uh, a, like, a medieval figure plate engraving of the lamprey monster that attacked Devin in episode one. Uh, if you've seen like old biology textbooks, you you know the kind of figure drawing I'm talking about where it's hyper-realistic Ye- and extremely detailed. So Bloom's... <laughs> think that think that Da Vinci drawing of the guy with five with four arms and legs. Yeah, the Vitruvian man. That's the bitch. Uh, so she, she takes some pictures of this book, but, you know, the fact that the door to that room is frosted glass and Bloom doesn't have, like, the ability to move extremely fast, I don't even know why she didn't bother trying to run, but Bloom gets caught standing next to Rosalind's desk, and it's very obvious that she's been snooping. See, what I would have done... Was just make it look like I was wandering, like stretching my legs. But I also feel like Bloom knew she was caught. Also, yeah. Bloom runs Android. She does? That is fully the Android um UI for taking pictures. Oh, I didn't notice that. That's funny, I have an Android phone. I should have known that. Apple is too proprietary for the other world. Anyhow... Rosalind asks if Bloom found anything interesting, and Bloom plays it off by making it... Like, she tells a half-truth here, which I think is very clever, by saying that she was looking for information about Devin and what happened to him. And in this conversation, we get kind of, like, one of the core principles of Rosalind as a character. She believes knowledge is power, but she is very hesitant to share what she knows with other people. So, you know, you can see the it's a it's a good line for an antagonist character to have to think that knowledge is power and then proceed to hoard it and then dispense it only when she deems it absolutely necessary. Knowledge is power as cliche cliche as that is. It truly is. Uh, She gets Bloom back in front of the book she was reading from and uh covertly asks if bloom really wants to burn this bridge that they've built so the interesting thing is that the bridge that's burned out i think that was nick like that was legit nick from episode one getting drunk yeah i believe that i'm pretty sure the bridge was out before this whole thing happened yeah i think it got burned during the rager that being said you don't want to burn any bridges no, that was during Silva's escape. Wait! No! <laughs> Out in the courtyard, Bloom is on a call with Sebastian and Silva, which 
Side note, I feel like you shouldn't be on speaker during this phone call. Yeah. Like, I know, I know Stella and Aisha need to hear this, but if you're on speaker, don't be outside. Yeah, they should really be in the suite having this phone call. Which is apparently the one place that they can't be touched. But whatever. So, yeah, Bloom is sharing the pictures that she took of the book on Rosalind's desk as Aisha and Stella stand by. She's put together that the creature in the book's mouth parts match the scar on Devon, but none of the other Winks recognize the language the book is in. It's apparently a dead language, and Rosalind must have gotten the book out of Solaria's royal archives. Sebastian does a quick arcana check and says he can recognize some of the symbols in the book and asks for time to decode the pages. While there should be a book in the school library that would help them translate it, Rosalind has closed the library under the guise of weeding out propaganda. <clears throat> Which, as Stella sarcastically notes, is always a good sign. Silva apparently has a book that would be useful to translate at his home, which Stella has been to with Skye before. Bloom has class off due to her study sessions for Rosalind, so she plans to borrow Professor Harvey's car and slip away. Silva agrees to the plan and says he'll draw her a map. In the infirmary, Musa tries to get a read on Devin while Tara tends to his wounds, but she can only really read pain. There's no conscious thought. Uh, they have a conversation about how Tara is really stressed about her family situation with the stress that Rosalind puts on all three of them. So uh, Musa and Tara talk about how Tara is going through a lot of family stress with this, you know, this whole Rosalind situation because it puts a lot of pressure on her, on her dad, on Sam. And she feels like they're kind of falling apart because of it. Um, and Musa asks if having Flora around is any help, but Tara gets another, like, she just gets this look on her face, and Musa gets the ping of all of the resentment that uh, Tara is pushing down. And she just kind of steps away. Uh, all Tara says is that Flora likes to do things her own way. Uh, and speaking of Flora, she walks into the room and asks if Professor Harvey tried a compound called Eldwin Amalgam. Uh, apparently they tried Eldwin Root, which Tara tries to, you know, end the conversation with, but Flora explains that the amalgam is different, and she starts giving specifics, but Tara cuts her off and says that they'd better get to class. So I guess this is kind of the difference between, like, taking a bite of sugarcane and actual like tables table sugar it's a more refined version of the base product i can't help but feel and i know this is fully not it and i'm gonna cut this because tara is so like put off by flora being there now and oh i've been around the world i've traveled all these places i've gotten private tutors and she's not thinking that she knows why they're not using Eldwin Amalgam and is not giving Flora the specifics as to why. See, to me, it it reads more as like that, that was a genuine gap in their knowledge. 
like Flora is probably legitimately a little bit better versed in theory than Tara is because of her parents' status as like full on researchers. So like they're constantly, you know, coming up with breakthroughs and on the cutting edge of plant magic while, you know, right. Professor Harvey is working on stuff that he learned in school. Right. But and- the reason I say this is because Tara knows that there's an antidote, at least later on. Well, she was and also she was also studying didn't at think that to make it. Well, that she was also studying at that point. So I don't think she knows it now, but she learns it later. Again, I finished watching the episode like an hour ago. Less than that. So we return to Sebastian's store, my absolute favorite um, setting of this uh, show, where he gives Silva a pen and paper to draw the map to his house. Uh, for plot contrivance reasons, they've decided to do this in the open storefront, despite Silva being a fugitive from the law. And this is one of those stores where the front is all giant display windows. Like, you can see to the counter from the street. The front walls are just windows. Yeah. Silva starts... Mm. Sebastian tries... Mm. Sebastian starts trying to talk to Silva. Jesus fucking God! There's a lot of S's here. Sebastian starts trying to talk to Silva. <laughs> this is a tongue twist. <clears throat> Sebastian sells seashells by the Silva shore. Sebastian stops Silva from being killed by Andreas. Sebastian starts trying to talk to Silva about Sky, but they're interrupted when Andreas shows up to interrogate Sebastian over Silva's whereabouts. I forgot to note here, but uh, Sebastian does see Andreas coming, and he shoves Silva into the like the back of the store area that we've seen. Andreas roughs him up when regular questioning doesn't work, and by roughs him up, we mean smashing his face through a glass display case. Yeah, that has to hurt a whole hell of a lot. And rips open the door to the back of the store. However, all he finds is a storage closet. Like some speakers. Probably a price gun. A ticketing gun for some reason. There's nothing fabric here. He does, however, catch a glimpse of the map Silva was drawing. He threatens to return and leaves the store, where we learn that the door to the back of the store is a portal that can change between being a closet or Silva's hiding place. I love this store, Brendan. I see a boombox. I see what looks to be an Atari ST. I see a big old CRT monitor. I love this man, who, again, I, I'm getting the feelings is going to be killed later in the show. Stay tuned. <laughs> Cut to Sky and Bloom on the lawns outside of Alfia. Uh, they have a little bit of a back and forth about Bloom's assignments and Sky's stress. And then Bloom kind of spills the beans that she's going to be visiting his childhood home because... She like she explained, she just can't not not tell him what she's that she's going to do that. And he immediately volunteers to take her. Uh, Bloom tries to argue that he shouldn't, but 
when this happened, I don't <laughs> think you know that I had to stop the show. I-, I heard the music. I had to stop the show and scream laugh into a pillow. <laughs> because the musical underscoring for this travel montage is Wildest Dreams by Taylor Swift. Oh. You know, the famous Irish woman, Taylor Swift. I, I it just... I guess because season one was so much indie pop and, like, the Dua Lipa. Mm-hmm. That when I heard Taylor Swift of all people, it was too much for my brain to take. Like, she's so mainstream that it just, it broke the immersion. All of a sudden, we are it just in a horse girl movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, they get to this ridiculous ridiculously idyllic cottage in the luscious looking meadow in all of ireland and there's a herd of horses and sky takes bloom riding on the back of a pure white horse because we have crossed into the parodic level of romance fantasy this is so cliche that it hurts my bones you grew up here i lived in a fucking suburb it's literally a hallmark (laughs) christmas movie (laughs) and she rode a horse and learned the true meaning of christmas (sighs) her parents wanted to rekindle their romance so they all went on a family trip to this airbnb in the middle of the fucking woods in a pasture and there are horses and a hot stable boy Yeehaw. Brendan, I'm writing a Hallmark movie. <laughs> you're, I mean, you, you're actually currently a Disney Channel original movie. Anyway, back at Alfia. Stella stands at the edge of the campus, and when she puts her hand out, the barrier shocks her. Because she has a shock collar on, embedded in her shoulder blade. She tries to power through it despite the pain, but is interrupted by Beatrix, who dryly comments on stories about princesses being trapped in castles. Beatrix has Sky down on her list of potential accomplices for helping Silva escape, because she just wants to help Rosalind and make her proud and hear the words, Beatrix, you're doing a good job. Well, I think at this point, we're it's kind of getting to the point where it's like, no, she's doing this to keep Andreas from getting force choked. That too. But Andreas wants to hear, Andreas, you're doing a good job. Yeah, he simps for Rosalind. And asks Stella if she saw Sky that day. Is it sad that I would be more apt to believe that if it was the old Rosalind actress? Not that it's Miranda Richards... bad hair. It's because she has a bad haircut and she has some very smooth skin for her age it's unnaturally smooth her face is very smooth and very like her skin is very smooth but her bones are angular she has no wrinkles she she does have that kind of um skeletal look which i think is probably being done on purpose to make her look like she's never smiled in her life 
And yeah, if she it, smiles once, she would crumble into dust. It'd be like that episode of The Group Adventures of Billy and Mandy. <laughs> you destroyed <laughs> the natural order! <laughs> and then they wake up and it's the Powerpuff Girls. Stella snaps back that Andreas probably isn't just isn't as great as Beatrix thinks he is, since she's personally familiar with parents not meeting expectations, and tells Beatrix to, in the words of another tortured princess, let it go before she walks away. God, can you believe that movie came out in like 2013? Jim! Yeah, I was like, huh, that's a shockingly modern reference. No, wait, that movie would that movie came out nine years ago. Even Jasper can't believe it, and he was born this year. Oh, the puppo. Also, Beatrix's outfit is so fucking good. Isn't this the one where she's got the jaunty little beret? She has what looks like a morning hat on with a veil. Yeah, she's into it's that. It's a whole jaunty dark little beret, but make it goth. She's into that whole dark academia style. Like, like this show as a whole flirts with dark academia just because you know it takes place in a old Irish manor house that's been converted into a school. But Beatrix like lives that aesthetic. I mean, I would too if I could. I mean, same. I'm somewhere where t- I, I'm so weird because I swap on the day between being like, I want to be a dark academia boy. And actually, I want to be cottagecore. I'm so fucking Chugi, Tess. Help me. Also, I like that you didn't even comment on Chugi. I, I, I don't know what that means. <laughs> You're old. <laughs> also, real quick. Going back when, at the end of their horse fantasy, Bloom's like, okay, we should probably go. I need to get that book. Right, here's the keys. Okay, and then she's like just walking across the whole field by herself, trying to not step on any spiders. (laughs) Or field snakes. She takes wide steps because it's very tall grass. I know, weird bug climbing up my leg and just here. Ah! So... Uh, in a classroom, Aisha and Musa fill Flora in on all the hot relationship goss from season one. How Musa is dating her roommate's brother, but Tara is still in passive-aggressive panic mode. And she she tries to get them to focus, but they ignore her, and things revolve back to Aisha and Grey. Uh, Aisha doesn't want to take things any further than texting because... This is a very interesting look at Aisha as a person with anxiety. Well, wait, uh, beca- well, wait. Well, wait, real quick. Clarification. Yes. Interesting look at Aisha coming from a person with anxiety or Aisha as a person or as a person who has anxiety or both. I believe um both. Though it should be noted that my anxiety is not like I am very fortunate that it's not at such a severe level that it impairs me most of the time. Rub but it in, why don't you? Listen, I'm I love kidding. you and I can only help. Um, <laughs> like, this is a very interesting view of, like, hey, we have some neurodivergent characters here, probably, uh, because Aisha doesn't want to escalate 
things beyond the flirty texting level because she is not sure how it would turn out if she did. And she doesn't want to open herself up to the possibility of being hurt if things fail. Uh, Tara, not Tara, Flora. Flora serves as, you know, the, the counterpoint, the very gentle reassurance that, you know, it could, it could be, a it could be great. Even if it's just for a little while, it could be great. Uh, I know very, we haven't met, we haven't known each other for very long, but you should do this. Well, it just seems like that's the kind of person Flora is, though. I know. I'm also sensing a bit of Flora not being able to read the room. Yes, I definitely think there is quite a bit of that thrown in as well. <clears throat> well, she it's wants also important to help. And she also doesn't like have the full context for who Aisha is as a person yet. They literally just met. Right. So she's giving very genericized advice because it's like she can't tailor it specifically to a person she doesn't know. I'm not saying read the room in this instance, though. Uh, so the bell rings and Flora tries to get hot goss from Tara. But Tara is still being a huge wet blanket because she can't cope with her feelings. We should totally get you a hot, um, what was, what was the phrase? I, um, oh God. It was like something like, we should find you a scandalous hookup. That's right. Um, so Tara hides her frustration by claiming that she doesn't want Flora to get distracted from school. But again, Flora, who is just, this is very much, you're right, Flora can't read the room or just isn't picking up on. Here's the thing. On one hand, Flora isn't picking up on Tara's social cues. On the other hand, Tara is so internalized that it's not difficult to do you know what i mean it's not difficult to pick up when she's putting down when she's not even acknowledging the fact that she's putting something down does that make sense oh god it's an echo chamber pretty much you have the unstoppable object versus the immovable force other way around no, in this case, I think the mixed metaphor is very apt. So uh, Flora is like, Flora explains that she actually, like, isn't too worried about school because, remember, she had those private tutors. So she's actually covered this material already. And she shows the most ridiculously detailed notes. Real quick. So, so then she's distracting other people. Yeah. Yeah, but you see, that's not what Tara said. I know that's what she did. That's not what she said. But that is fully what she did. Yeah. I experienced this yesterday in my class. <clears throat> this one girl was already taking so freaking long to write down her notes. And this other girl was like fully done. She's like, watch this magic trick. And I'm like, no, no magic tricks. We're trying to get her to write things down. Not everyone's done with the lesson, Denise. 
We have a Dolores. And, uh, so, of course, she has, like, college-grade notes. Like, like, AP lesson-style notes. Which just makes Tara feel even worse about herself. And Flora also passes her the formula for Eldwin Amalgam. Because, in her view, it's better than doing nothing. He could have a bad reaction, but it is technically better than no reaction. Uh, Tara is, of course, drowning in her inferiority complex, so she just kind of walks away without really committing to anything. Regarding the amalgam. In the nicest way possible, I do see a lot of you and Tara this season. Oh, okay. Does that make sense? Hold on, wait. The god Beatrix's outfit was for another thing, so I did pop through. My B. So I'm gonna take these next two paragraphs. Okay, well, I'm not- I'm not blowing you off. I fully, fully agree with you. I am also a gay little ball of anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) But I am gonna take these next two paragraphs. (laughs) What's a she-they to do? Scrambled eggs all over my face. So here, so I'm sitting there, anxiety sauce on my titties. <laughs> Gross. So out in the hallways, Aisha and Musa run into Gray. And Musa excuses herself so they can do some in-person flirting. Gray escorts Aisha to the suite, and once they reach the door, he asks if they can spend some real-life time together. Because while texting is nice... He does want to see her. Uh, he he literally uses the phrase limbo. Like, he's in limbo. Aisha makes some non-committal remarks about being busy, you know, real life stuff and all that. Which causes Grey to outright say that he likes her, and he thinks that she likes him too. And he hates being stuck in limbo. She doesn't answer, which causes him to walk off. That's an understandable reaction. <laughs> Returning to Bloom and Sky, we get some banter, including Bloom calling Sky a horse girl. Uh, it really is a freaking horse girl movie. We need to watch some of those. Yeah, apparently, apparently this whole like horse thing happened because Danny Griffin, who plays Sky, is a horse girl in real life. Of course, he's a horse girl. Also, listeners, horse girl is gender neutral. I don't make the rules. Much like girl boss, horse girl is a gender neutral term. Gaslight, gatekeep, horse girl. Mm-hmm. So Sky gives Bloom the keys to the house because he doesn't want to go inside. He's still torn up about Silva lying to him, but Bloom reassures him that the two of them can get things figured out. And she uh, hikes across the seven miles of field that it takes to get to that house. While doing Mela's uh, walk cycle from Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. <laughs> her boots too big for her gat feet. I loved, I love that people did not understand that's a deliberate artistic choice and they thought it was just part of the launch graphical issues. No, she, she oh, can't. Oh no, you have, you have to walk like that in boots like that. Yeah, she can't bend her knees. It really is form over function. <laughs> 
So at Devin's room in the infirmary, Sam is tinkering around with some potions when he hears Rosalind's voice in the hall. He phases through, he like phases through a wall as she comes in and checks on Devin with Harvey. And when she verifies that his condition hasn't improved, she suggests that they should move him to the Solarian capital since uh, his condition just seems to be worsening. But then, like Harvey, of course, protests. Uh, Rosalind then does the classic abuser thing where, like, she makes you feel really bad about yourself, but then, like, throws you a compliment that makes you confused about your own feelings. Especially because uh, she congratulates him for suggesting Sebastian as a lead to find Silva. So she is now successfully making him turn on his friends. Because, again, Rosalind is an abuser. Uh, And all Harvey wants in return for doing this for her is for his children to be safe. Uh, She does not confirm or deny that. She just says that she will arrange Devin's transport. Uh, After she leave, after the both of the adults leave the room, Sam walks back through the wall and he goes back to whatever he was working on. But it's notable that whatever he was working on is uh, green and swirly. So it's probably nothing good. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, the camera does a rack focus on, uh, like, a a test tube full of nefarious green fluid. Also, so we have the gaslight. We have the gatekeep. But sure ain't no girl boss. Rosalind is a girl boss. Derogatory. (laughs) Cut back to Beatrix, Dane, and Riven, who have formed an impromptu cuddle pile on Riven's full-size mattress, which looks extremely uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> maybe it's a twin it's not a it, it's a small mattress i'll tell you that um i'll have to lo- look over it but i think it i think it's a full beatrix reassures the boys that andreas is just under a lot of pressure from rosalind and no sooner does she mention him does he text riven and dane to suit up because they're all going on a mission Riven gives Beatrix a kiss goodnight, and as soon as the boys leave, she immediately starts snooping through Sky's stuff. Which, by the way, here's the god Beatrix's outfit. Isn't she just in an oversized shirt? I noticed I... the sheer robe. That's what it is. See, and there it's... is theatricals. That's right. She is <clears throat> in like a very uh, genre appropriate. A snooping robe my brain like normalized it into her just in like a big t-shirt which would be comfortable but, but no, it's not a robe nearly for dramatic the... enough <laughs> yeah she needs the drama riven catches her and after well first after a quip of of course he <laughs> folds his pants and I, I do believe it's important to point out that she means this in the British sense. Sky folds his underwear. Ah! At first I was like, why would that be weird? And it's like, no, this is a man who folds his underwear. And after being questioned, Beatrix shows some vulnerability, explaining she's trying to keep Andrea safe. Riven agrees that they need to do something, but refuses to believe Sky was involved. He gives her another kiss and leaves. Right here, he does kind of deflect 
a question? Something like, do you know who was involved? And then he's like, I gotta go, smoosh, bye. So inside Silva's house, it's it's a ridiculously cute little cottage. And uh, she finds a whole cork board full of pictures of Sky when he was a kid. Like, old sports trophies and stuff. And, like, she does find the book on the shelf in the living room. But she... I guess, I don't know why. I don't know what would cause this decision making. Maybe just curiosity. She She wanted to see if he had horse posters in his bedroom. So she, she goes to Sky's bedroom. Which... It's definitely a bedroom that has not changed, like, at all since he was a kid. I think there are horse posters at some point. But there is a shrine of sorts to Andreas, including a a picture of him holding, like, a baby Sky. Uh, this is explained by Sky, who appears off camera and starts talking to, uh, to Scarebloom. In a way that is uh, tension building, but not threatening. (laughs) And he explains that, you know, when he was growing up and he thought Andreas was dead, Silva, well, everyone thought Andreas was dead at that point, honestly. Silva would tell him, you know, how Andreas was a hero. So Sky really looked up to him. Uh, There is some really good, genuine emotional dialogue here about getting answers to questions that you never meant to ask bloom released rosalind and sky knows his father figure was basically lying to him about his father's fate for years because even if you know even if they didn't know he was alive saul was the one who quote unquote killed him right this is in my opinion some of the best relationship writing in the entire franchise because these characters are being very emotionally honest and open with each other so um bloom reassures sky he is not defined by andreas and andreas's reactions to him but sky is defined as a person by his own actions and she knows that he hurts himself so that he can stay strong for other people and this like genuine like this is some genuine emotional intimacy so i am not surprised that it leads to physical intimacy in the form of a very artfully shot non-explicit sex scene that's actually quite lovely of course it's underscored by indie pop this is a very well shot show there is beautiful cinematography in Fate the Wink Saga, and that is what I will miss the most. This show knows how to do good camera work. We return to Alfia, where Sam and Musa are sitting in the courtyard. He is visibly furious about what he overheard earlier, and he says he can't talk to Musa in the open because he doesn't know who Rosalind has under control, glaring at a pair of her guards as he does. Musa uses her powers to repress his anger again. Musa, stop. Honey. Oh no, this is the gaslight to the gatekeeping girl boss. No! And he decides to pull her aside somewhere private. 
they enter the classroom set and, um, well, he starts trying to make some moves. And Muse is like you said, we were said we were going to talk, but they're interrupted by, but they're interrupted because Tara was sitting by the bookshelf and has had a convenient Eureka, I found it moment. Um, in the, sorry, but I, I feel like it's very true to text. Like, it's very true to life that Musa took away the angry, so in true teenage boy fashion, all that was left was the horny. <laughs> the toggle switch. It's what are the other Musa? So doing some research to back up Flora's suggestions, she's found Flora is potentially right. Eldwin Amalgam, which by the way is the name of my next tabletop character, is an extremely potent stimulant. But if he reacts poorly to it, it could end up lethal even with the antidote on hand. This is, of course, dramatically juxtaposed in voiceover as Flora administers the amalgam to Devin, and his eyes snap open. He, uh, starts to seize, though. Very, um, very... Eyes open, Squidward. (laughs) Um, he... Begins seizing, and as Flora starts to calm him down, we see from Devin's point of view, Flora is blending into Rosalind, the infirmary into her secret lab, and Flora freezes. Tara comes in, asking where the antidote for the amalgam was, but Flora didn't even know what existed. Devin starts having a fit, but when Tara tries to restrain him so he won't hurt himself, he bursts free of the restraints because he gets another flashback to being restrained in the lab, and tackles Flora, who he's still seeing as Rosalind, to the ground, and demands that she give him back his magic. Yeah! He runs out of the infirmary, and the Winks start a search party! Well, uh, how many are we at at this point? We're, so we have six girls. One is missing. So three? Actually two. Stella's MIA. No, it's three. Stella's helping. Well, okay. Bloom is uh, mid-coitus. Yeah. Stella is... Mid-drinkus. Uh, having what I would not mind having for the rest of the season. So we have four technically, but Flora doesn't really know the lay of the land. Yes. Flora and Tara get to work on making the antidote. And... Flora's, like, apologizing the entire time, and she reveals the reason she even came to Alfia. She came to help Tara, because she heard how difficult things have been since Rosalind took over as headmistress. Uh, Tara gets a text that Stella found Devin, and they go to administer the antidote. Uh, We also get our first look of the negative impacts of Muse's well-intentioned emotional suppression, when Sam, who's on a who's working on a adrenaline high body checks her into the wall when Aisha startles him. So it seems like every time Musa suppresses an emotion with her powers, the next time the person feels that emotion, it escalates. His body's not used to feeling it. It's like when you haven't had caffeine in a while and then you have a like like a coffee and then you can see through time. Yeah, it's it's like it's his body is overcompensating. Um, so she siphons that off of him as well, and Sam gets like all like 
weirdly like giggly and casual and he's like oh hey dude sorry aisha you scared me and when he walks off aisha basically corners Musa and goes what the hell was that uh musa explains that she's been taking the edge off of people's negative emotions including doing it to aisha when they broke silva out of jail and Aisha starts trying to process that before she shakes it off and gets back to searching for Devin. So these are a little bit out of order because I, in in classic Fate the Wink Saga fashion, there is a lot of quick cutting back and forth between these two scenarios, and I wanted to streamline it for the podcast experience. Fully makes sense. Oh, so- I was wrong about the green liquid thing that's later. Okay, I'll cut it. Hey, Editor Tess. Yeah? Cut that thing. (laughs) Absolutely not. This is taking way too long as it is. So, back at Silva's house, uh, Bloom and Skye are engaging in some cuddling when Bloom's phone starts popping off to alert her about Devin. She tries to ignore it, but gets startled by the sound of an engine outside. She wraps herself up in the blankets and looks out the window. Sure enough, Andreas has rolled up in one of the Alfea Jeeps, which, by the way, is uh, actually a Land Rover. Eh, same thing. No. Car people don't at me. Sky... <laughs> it says Land Rover on the front! I wasn't paying attention to that. Sky oh, also, pulls up uh, some loose... They get dressed lightning fast. They just immediately, like, they fully forget, oh, right, we were naked last scene. Well, I think there's a point where the camera cuts away, and by the time it cuts back, they're dressed. Like, it cuts to, I think, the uh, Tara and Flora making the antidote, and when it cuts back to this, they're <coughs> dressed. Anyway, Sky pulls up some loose floorboards, calling it an old hiding space, and there is a convenient amount of space for the both of them to squeeze in. Um, I'm calling this a bootlegger's uh, basement. Pretty much. Sly. Sly. Sly Cooper. Sly. Sly skides the boards. Sly. Bus. Sky. There are too many damn S's in this frickin' summary. <laughs> There's too many snakes in this episode outline. Sky slides the boards back into place just as Andreas walks through the house. He stands right on top of the hiding space when Bloom's phone buzzes an attention sting. We get a fake out where it seems like he heard her phone buzzing, but it's actually his own. Rosalind informs him about Devin's escape, and overhearing this conversation is how Bloom learns about the lab and that Rosalind has others there. Andreas wants to get back in case Devin starts talking, and before he leaves Sky's bedroom, he takes a photo of himself with baby Sky off the corkboard. Then, to send a message to anyone who knows where Silva is hiding, Andreas has Dane and Riven set the house on fire. Um, isn't... isn't this a brick house? Um, so it looks like it's, um... Like an old mud and straw house, almost, on a wooden frame. So there will be, definitely, like, the fireplace and stuff will be left standing, but the rest of the house is actually probably pretty flammable. Also, um, when Bloom was trying to frantically turn down her phone, uh, she activated the phone camera. (laughs) 
Oh, yeah, because you press that button oh. too many times, the camera comes up. That's another She's Android thing. Sky and Bloom escape their hiding place, the house bathed in flame, but Bloom is able to use her power over fire to keep them safe. Sky watches his childhood home burn around him in a pretty good mi- mixture of CGI and practical science. Practical science! Weird science. Ooh, plastic practical tubes science. and pots and pans. Shooting from the hip. <laughs> Weird science. Good old Danny Elfman. Sky watches his childhood home burn around him in a decent mixture of CGI and practical fire effects. Bloom holding the fires back in a circle around them. Uh, Beatrix. And I am oh. fully here for this end of episode bar scene. Like, I want this to happen the rest of the season. It's great. End of episode what? The end of episode drinks. Ah. So Beatrix has invited Stella for a nightcap in the headmistress's office. They're having some light bestie chat, including Stella trying to give relationship advice, which is hysterical, frankly. Uh, And Stella's phone keeps vibrating. So Beatrix hands it to her right as Devin breaks into Rosalind's office. He screams at Beatrix and Stella to tell him where Rosalind is. Beatrix wants to stop him with electricity, but Stella wants to at least hold him until Tara gets there. Tara, which, you know, as soon as, of course, she she heard her cue <laughs> and comes in. She tries to administer the antidote, but uh, Rosalind intervenes. Like, she walks into the room. Devin grabs a pen from, like, a pen from her desk and holds it to her throat like he's going to stab her in the jugular. But she tells Beatrix to back down when she starts charging a lightning spell because he's just confused. Which is technically not wrong. We've seen his mental state. Oh, she she assures them that he's just confused, even though we fully know. The thing is, it's not wrong. He's definitely not in a sound mental state, but she is a contributor to that fact. Yeah, uh, he also fully saw his girlfriend get, well, his girlfriend kill herself against her will in front of him. Uh, yeah, blood sorcery level two ritual blood puppet. So Rosalind starts using her powers to probe Devin's mind. Uh, and Flora explains that they used Eldwin Amalgam on him. Uh, Rosalind rifles through Devin's memories, seeing his encounter with the Blood Witch and the Leech Monster, and when she lets him go, he crumples to the floor in a heap. Tara checks his pulse and confirms he's dead. Tara takes the blame for the Eldwin Amalgam, claiming it was her idea, and Rosalind just orders everyone to leave her office. And they do, in shock. So, real quick. Rosalind was just holding him until the amalgam killed him, right? Good question. Or did she break his mind while he she was in there? Good question. Do you know the answer? Yes, but I'm not telling you. Ha! 
Stay tuned. In the greenhouse, Sam is busy grinding herbs, or herbs, when Harvey comes in, having successfully prevented Rosalind from expelling Tara. I'm reading this because I'm trying to not die. He wonders if his family even belongs at Alfea with how much it's tearing them apart. When Sam reiterates that the school isn't the problem, Rosalind is. They hug, and Sam reassures Harvey that he can clean up the infirmary and that there is some damage in the greenhouse, so Harvey goes to check on that. Once he's gone, Sam sweeps some books into his backpack and pockets a mysterious vial of green liquid that he'd been working on. So, we go back to the wanks, and this is a really cool use of Stella's powers. When I first saw it, I didn't quite understand what was happening, but then I realized this is all Stella doing this. She has made holograms of the translation book and put them up like they're being projected on screens while they... uh, Every so that like everyone has a copy of it, basically. She has uh, an are... overhead. Yeah, she's she's, she's an made overhead. an overhead. Uh, each of the girls split up into teams and start getting to work trying to translate. Uh, Bloom has Sebastian on an iPad to help FaceTiming, and he comes up with a rough idea of what they're doing. The magic in the book is so old, it is non-elemental. It is straight magic. And the specific page they have a photo of is a spell to summon the leech creatures. Aisha and Bloom are able to translate more, and together they put together what seems to be happening. These leeches siphon and store magic. So Rosalind could be using them to steal the magic of other fairies and add it to their to her own. Stella's confused why she would even do that, since Rosalind is already one of the most powerful fairies alive. But Sebastian points out, no matter how much power you have, it never seems like it's enough. <laughs> Quite. Um... <laughs> So that's what happened in between the seasons. She got more magic, which changed the actress. The magic of scheduling conflicts. So Rosalind has Andreas, Dane, and Riven in her office. And when they tell her that there are no major leads in the case to find Silva, she force chokes the three of them for their failures. Like a good leader. And she's like... Like, their eyes are fully booking out, and they're turning red. It's not good. Beatrix, seeing that Andreas is about to die, throws Riven under the bus. He knows something, but won't tell her what. Rosalind lets them go, and Riven glares daggers at Beatrix as Rosalind dismisses everyone but Riven from her office. She tells Riven that he's going to tell her everything he knows about Silva. And in the dramatic ending shot of the episode, we see Silva climb through the window of Skye's dorm room. And they lock eyes. And a scene. Dramatic ending credits music. Dun, dun, dun. Listing everyone and their dog who worked on this damn show. That's our... That's our episode this week. 
So, Tess, do you have any best moments from this episode? Like, what are your highlights? Well, I'm always, I'm always going to say, these outfits are freaking fire. They have severely improved the wardrobe. Um, I'm always here for dunking on Riven. As cliche as it is, I really like the horses. <laughs> Wild dreams. They full on go spirit stallion of the Cimarron on us. More teens being teens. And seeing Tara being flirted with was nice. Because I'm a big gay, and you know this. Yeah. How about you, Brendan? I'd say... This is a very good episode for acting. My top moment is definitely Bloom and Sky's emotional intimacy. Ooh, that was good, yeah. You'll love to see it. You'll love to see two people acting their hearts out in a way that feels incredibly genuine. In a way that got the show canceled. <laughs> Listen, it's not their fault. No, it's not their I fault know. that Netflix is run by an idiot. Rosalind's a really good villain. Oh my god, she is. She is a very fascinating character. Um, And I, I love a woman who can... I don't mean to say I love a woman who can, but it, in my experience, it's mostly been female actors who've been good at uh, portraying very nuanced villain characters. I don't know if that's just because men aren't often written with... I don't know if it's just layers or what's going on here, or if it's honestly just that I don't watch a lot of stuff with male villains because men are boring. <laughs> but yeah. Emotional intimacy. Rosalind is a stone-cold biddy who I love to hate. Uh, Beatrix. It's nice to see her eat some crow. And the show is still grabbing me. Yeah, that's the that's the thing. It it fully deserved its third season, and it just didn't get it because of Netflix leadership decisions. So I would also like to thank our listeners. Um, I'd like to take a moment to thank our listenership. Uh, this podcast has been very sporadic i will be very frank and say that i have not been having a good mental health episode for most of this year honestly uh and combined with just the fact that i have a very busy work schedule that i don't often have the time to record or to even or to take notes so i would like to thank sincerely everyone who is still with us after we started because we were going really strong for a long time and we are going to i know we say it every time but i want to in 2023 try and get back to our original schedule as much as we can even if it's bi-monthly instead of bi-weekly nope let me rephrase that even if it's twice a even month even if it's bi-monthly instead of bi-monthly <laughs> yeah, even if it's twice a month instead of e properly every two weeks. Ha! All right, club kids. Um, I'm not gonna bother plugging individual socials because, well, Twitter is a dying art. Thanks, Musk. <laughs> uh, 
we do have a show Twitter at Magic Winks Pod that we barely use. Uh, we use we it to an... update, and that's about it. And we have a. Uh... We need to find a way to build a community. Honestly, listeners, if you think like a Discord or something would be a good idea, you know we're all ears. You can submit your suggestions and like questions and comments and concerns to our Twitter, or if you want a more long form answer. Uh, we do have an email address. Somehow I managed to heck up the last two minutes of this podcast. Magicwingsclubhouse at gmail.com. That is the name of this podcast at gmail.com. Brendan wished everyone happy holidays, which I think is funny because it is currently mid-February. Meeting adjourned. Open your eyes, open your mind. We are the Wings. Wings, if your hand is holding mine. In Team Star, no one can hear you gay. We can yell about Pokemon later, because like we need to get this done. Yeah. I have work tomorrow. <laughs>